Part two of the Men of Zanzibar by Richard Harding Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Part two. Of the little colony, Arthur Fearing was the man of whom Hemingway had seen the least. That was so because Fearing wished it. Like himself, Fearing was an American young and a bachelor but very much unlike hemingway a hermit and a recluse two years before he had come to zanzibar looking for an investment for his money in zanzibar there were gentlemen adventurers of every country who were welcome to live in any country save their own to them mr fearing seemed a heaven-sent victim but to him their alluring tales of the fortunes that were to rise from buried treasures lost mines and pearl beds did not appeal instead he conferred with the consuls the responsible merchants the partners in the prosperous trading-houses after a month of looking around he had purchased outright the goodwill and stock of one of the oldest of the commission houses and soon showed himself to be a most capable man of business but except as a man of business no one knew him from the dim recesses of his warehouse he passed each day to the seclusion of his bungalow in the country and although every one was friendly to him he made no friends it was only after the arrival of mrs adair that he consented to show himself and it was soon noticed that it was only when she was invited that he would appear and that on these occasions he devoted himself entirely to her in the presence of others he was still shy gravely polite and speaking but little and never of himself but with mrs adair his shyness seemed to leave him and when with her he was seen to talk easily and eagerly and on her part to what he said polly adair listened with serious interest lady firth who at home was a trained and successful matchmaker and who in zanzibar had found but a limited field for her activities decided that if her companion and protege must marry she should marry fearing fearing was no gentleman adventurer remittance man or humble clerk serving his apprenticeship to a steamship line or an ivory house he was one of the pillars of zanzibar society the trading-house he had purchased had had its beginning in the slave trade and now under his alert direction was making a turnover equal to that of any of its ancient rivals personally fearing was a most desirable catch he was well-mannered well-read of good appearance steady and in a latitude only six degrees removed from the equator of impeccable morals it is said that it is the person who is in love who always is the first to discover his successful rival 
it is either an instinct or because his concern is deeper than that of others and so when hemingway sought for the influence that separated him from polly adair the trail led to fearing to find that the obstacle in the path of his true love was a man greatly relieved him he had feared that what was in the thoughts of mrs adair was the memory of her dead husband he had no desire to cross swords with a ghost but to a living rival he could afford to be generous for he was sure no one could care for polly adair as he cared and like every other man in love he believed that he alone had discovered in her beauties of soul and character that to the rest of mankind were hidden this knowledge he assured himself had aroused in him a depth of devotion no one else could hope to imitate and this depth of devotion would in time so impress her would become so necessary to her existence that it would force her at last into the arms of the only man who could offer it having satisfied himself in this fashion he continued cheerfully on his way and the presence of a rival in no way discouraged him it only was polly adair who discouraged him and this in spite of the fact that every hour of the day he tried to bring himself pleasantly to her notice all that an idle young man had in love aided and abetted by imagination and an unlimited letter of credit could do hemingway did but to no end the treasures he dug out from the bazaars and presented to her under false pretences as trinkets he happened at that moment to find in his pockets were admired by her at their own great value and returned also under false pretences as having been offered her only to examine it is for your sister at home i suppose she prompted it is quite lovely thank you for letting me see it after having been several times severely snubbed in this fashion hemingway remarked grimly as he put a black pearl back into his pocket at this rate sister will be mighty glad to see me when i get home it seems almost a pity i haven't got a sister the girl answered this only with a grave smile on another occasion she admired a polo pony that had been imported for the stable of the boy sultan but next morning hemingway after much diplomacy became the owner of it and proudly rode it to the agency lady firth and polly adair walked out to meet him arm and arm but at sight of the pony there came into the eyes of the secretary a look that caused hemingway to wish himself and his mounts many miles into the jungle he saw that before it had been proffered his gift horse had been rejected he acted promptly lady firth he said 
you've been so awfully kind to me made this place so like a home to me that i want you to put this mare in your stable the sultan wanted her but when he learned i meant to turn her over to you he let her go we both hope you'll accept lady firth had no scruples in five minutes she had accepted had clapped a side saddle on her rich girt and was cantering joyously down the pearl road polly adair looked after her with an expression that was distinctly wistful thus encouraged hemingway said i am glad you are sorry i hope every time you see that pony you'll be sorry why should i be sorry asked the girl because you have been unkind said hemingway and it is not your character to be unkind and that you have shown lack of character ought to make you sorry but you know perfectly well said mrs adair that if i were to take any of these wonderful things you bring me i wouldn't have any character left she smiled at him reassuringly and you know she added that that is not why i do not take them it isn't because i can't afford to or because i don't want them because i do but it's because i don't deserve them because i can give you nothing in return as the copy-book says returned hemingway the pleasure is in the giving if the copy-book don't say that i do and to pretend that you give me nothing that is ridiculous it was so ridiculous that he rushed on vehemently why every minute you give me something he exclaimed just to see you just to know you are alive just to be certain when i turn in at night that when the world wakes up again you will still be a part of it that is what you give me and its name is happiness he had begun quite innocently he had had no idea that it would come but he had said it as clearly as though he had dropped upon the knee laid his hand over his heart and exclaimed most beautiful of your sex i love you will you marry me his eyes and the tone of his voice had said it and he knew that he had said it and that she knew her eyes were filled with sudden tears and so wonderful was the light in them that for one mad moment hemingway thought they were tears of happiness but the light died and what had been tears became only wet drops of water and he saw to his dismay that she was most miserable the girl moved ahead of him to the cliff on which the agency stood and which overhung the harbour and the indian ocean her eyes were filled with trouble as she raised them to his they begged of him to be kind i am glad you told me she said i have been afraid it was coming but until you told me i could not say anything i tried to stop you i was rude and unkind you certainly were hemingway agreed cheerfully 
and the more you would have nothing to do with me the more i admired you and then i learned to admire you more and then to love you it seems now as though i had always known and always loved you and now this is what we are going to do he wouldn't let her speak he rushed on precipitately we are first going up to the house to get your typewriting machine and we will bring it back here and hurl it as far as we can off this cliff i want to see the splash i want to hear it smash when it hits that rock it has been my worst enemy because it helped you to be independent of me because it kept you from me time after time on the veranda when i was pretending to listen to lady firth i was listening to that damned machine banging and complaining and tiring your pretty fingers and your dear eyes so first it has got to go you have been its slave now i am going to be your slave you have only to rub the lamp and things will happen and because i've told you nothing about myself you mustn't think that the money that helps to make them happen is tainted it isn't nor am i nor my father nor my father's father i am asking you to marry as a perfectly respectable young man and when you do again he gave her no opportunity to interrupt but rushed on impetuously we will sail away across that ocean to wherever you will take me to ceylon and tokyo and san francisco to naples and new york to greece and athens they are all near they are all yours will you accept them and me he smiled appealingly but most miserably for though he had spoken lightly and with confidence it was to conceal the fact that he was not at all confident as he had read in her eyes her refusal of his pony he had read even as he spoke her refusal of himself when he ceased speaking the girl answered if i say that what you tell me makes me proud i am saying too little she shook her head firmly with an air of finality that frightened hemingway but what you ask what you suggest is impossible you don't like me said hemingway i like you very much returned the girl and if i don't seem unhappy that it can't be it is because i always have known it can't be why can't it be rebelled hemingway i don't mean that i can't understand your not wanting to marry me but if i knew your objection maybe i could beat it down again with the same air of finality the girl moved her head slowly as though considering each word she began cautiously i cannot tell you the reason she said because it does not concern only myself if you mean you care for someone else pleaded hemingway that does not frighten me at all it did frighten him extremely but believing that a faint heart never won anything he pretended to be brave for you he boasted i would go down into the grave as deep as any man 
he that hath more let him give i know what i offer i know i love you as no other man the girl backed away from him as though he had struck her you must not say that she commanded for the first time he saw that she was moved that the fingers she laced and unlaced were trembling it is final exclaimed the girl i cannot marry you or any one i-i have promised i am not free nothing in the world is final returned hemingway sharply except death he raised his hat and as though to leave her moved away not because he admitted defeat but because he felt that for the present to continue might lose him the chance to fight again but to deliver an ultimatum he turned back as long as you are alive and i am alive he told her all things are possible i don't give up hope i don't give up you the girl exclaimed with a gesture of despair he won't understand she cried hemingway advanced eagerly help me to understand he begged you won't understand explained the girl that i am speaking the truth you are right that things can change in the future but nothing can change the past can't you understand that what do i care for the past cried the young man scornfully i know you as well as though i had known you for a thousand years and i love you the girl flushed crimson not my past she gasped i meant i don't care what you meant said hemingway i'm not prying into your little secrets i know only one thing two things that i love you and that until you love me i am going to make your life hell he caught at her hands and for an instant she let him clasp them in both of his while she looked at him something in her face other than distress and pity caused his heart to leap but he was too wise to speak and that she might not read the hope in his eyes turned quickly and left her he had not crossed the grounds of the agency before he had made up his mind as to the reason of her repelling him she is engaged to fearing he told himself she has promised to marry fearing she thinks that it is too late to consider another man the prospect of a fight for the woman he loved thrilled him greatly his lower jaw said pugnaciously i'll show her it's not too late he promised himself i'll show her which of us is the man to make her happy and if i am not the man i'll take the first outbound steamer and trouble them no more but before that happens he also promised himself fearing must show he is the better man in spite of his brave words in spite of his determination within the day hemingway had withdrawn in favour of his rival 
and on the crown prince eitel bound for genoa and new york had booked his passage home on the afternoon of the same day he had spoken to polly adair hemingway at the sunset hour betook himself to the consulate at that hour it had become his custom to visit his fellow-countryman and with him share the gossip of the day and such a cocktail as only a fellow-countryman could compose later he was to dine at the house of the ivory company and as his heart never ceased telling him mrs adair was also to be present it will be a very pleasant party said harris they gave me a bid too but it's steamer day to-morrow and i've got to get my mail ready for the crown prince eitel mrs adair is to be there hemingway nodded and with pleasant anticipation waited of mrs adair harris always spoke with reverent enthusiasm and the man who loved her delighted to listen but this time harris disappointed him and fearing too he added again hemingway nodded the conjunction of the two names surprised him but he made no sign loquacious as he knew harris to be he never before had heard his friend even suggest the subject that to zanzibar had become of acute interest harris filled the two glasses and began to pace the room when he spoke it was in the aggrieved tone of one who feels himself placed in a false position there's no one he complained suddenly so popularly unpopular as the man who butts in i know that but still i've always taken his side i've always been for him he halted straddling with legs apart and hands deep in his trousers pockets and frowned down upon his guest suppose he began aggressively i see a man driving his car over a cliff if i tell him that road will take him over a cliff the worst that can happen to me is to be told to mind my own business and i can always answer back i was only trying to help you if i don't speak the man breaks his neck between the two it seems to me sooner than have any one's life on my hands i'd rather be told to mind my own business hemingway stared into his glass his expression was distinctly disapproving but undismayed the consul continued now we all know that this morning you gave that polo pony to lady firth and one of us guesses that you first offered it to someone else who refused it one of us thinks that very soon to-morrow or even to-night at this party you may offer that same person something else something worth more than a polo pony and that if she refuses that it is going to break you all up is going to hurt you for the rest of your life lifting his eyes from his glass hemingway shot at his friend a glance of warning in haste harris continued i know he protested answering the look 
i know that this is where mr butinsky is told to mind his own business but i'm going right on i'm going to state a hypothetical case with no names mentioned and no questions asked or answered i'm going to state a theory and let you draw your own deductions he slid into a chair and across the table fastened his eyes on those of his friend confidently and undisturbed but with a wry smile of dislike hemingway stared fixedly back at him what demanded harris is the first role in detective work hemingway started he was prepared for something unpleasant but not for that particular form of unpleasantness but his faith was unshaken and he smiled confidently he let the consul answer his own question it is to follow the woman declared harris and accordingly what should be the first precaution of a man making his getaway to see that the woman does not follow but suppose we are dealing with a fugitive of especial intelligence with a criminal who has imagination and brains he might fix it so that the woman could follow him without giving him away he might plan it so that no one could suspect she might arrive at his hiding-place only after many months only after each had made separately a long circuit of the globe only after a journey with a plausible and legitimate object she would arrive disguised in every way and they would meet as total strangers and as strangers under the eyes of others they would become acquainted would gradually grow more friendly would be seen more frequently together until at last people would say those two mean to make a match of it and then one day openly in the sight of all men with the aid of the law and the church they would resume those relations that existed before the man ran away and the woman followed there was a short silence hemingway broke it in a tone that would accept no denial you can't talk like that to me he cried what do you mean without resentment the consul regarded him with grave solicitude his look was one of real affection and although his tone held the absolute finality of the family physician who delivers a sentence of death he spoke with gentleness and regret i mean he said that mrs adair is not a widow that the man she speaks of as her late husband is not dead that that man is fearing hemingway felt afraid a month before a rhinoceros had charged him and had dropped at his feet at another time a wounded lioness had leaped into his path and crouched to spring then he had not been afraid then he had aimed as confidently as though he were firing at a straw target but now he felt real fear fear of something he did not comprehend of a situation he could not master of an adversary as strong as fate 
by a word something had been snatched from him that he now knew was as dear to him as life that was life that was what made it worth continuing and he could do nothing to prevent it he could not help himself he was as impotent as the prisoner who hears the judge banish him into exile he tried to adjust his mind to the calamity but his mind refused as easily as with his finger a man can block the swing of a pendulum and halt the progress of the clock harris with a word had brought the entire world to a full stop and then above his head hemingway had heard the lazy whisper of the punkah and from the harbour the raucous whistle of the crown prince eitel signalling her entrance the world had not stopped for the punker boy and the captain of the german steamer for harris seated with face averted the world was still going gaily and busily forward only for him had it stopped End of part two.